We have been for the last three weeks or so participating in a program called Making a Difference where we've asked people to do something related with outreach which fits perfectly with what we've been doing for weeks now in terms of our uh, Sunday morning time of talking about what it means for us to be a church that reaches out to people with the good news of Jesus. And the first thing that I want to do this morning is for us to watch a video which is really cool. It shows some things that have been done before the last few weeks but then some things that have been done in the last uh, couple of weeks here talking specifically about uh, or showing specifically what we've done in our community to try and make a difference specifically with the gospel. I think you'll enjoy this. Right. Well, it's exciting to see the things that uh, people have been doing. And the whole purpose of making a difference, of course, is to make a difference for the Lord Jesus Christ in our world today. God is wanting so much to change people's lives. And he has chosen to make the church the main voice for changing lives in our world. So we have a chance to make a difference all the time. And we want to continue to do that. I'm hoping that making a difference is not something that we just do a few weeks a year, of course. It's something that we do all the time, and God definitely wants us to do that. Along those lines, as we continue to talk about what it means to talk to others about Jesus, you will have found in your bulletin something like this today. And what this is, is a list of biblical references, all of which relate fairly straightforwardly the gospel. You might, some of them read it and think, okay, what's the connection here? But most of these passages are going to communicate fairly closely the gospel. So you've got this, and I hope that you take it with you. There's a few more on the back table there if you want to get some more. And then we've made a few available. We've laminated them and put them in the connection center. Uh, There's just a few of those, though. So if you want to get one, fine. If you go there and all the laminated ones are gone and you want to uh, still get one, you can talk to Hope and she can laminate one for you. So you can keep that. And if you, you know, if you, this goes by the wayside, you lose it here in a while and you think to yourself, oh, I wish I had that bookmark back. We can certainly reproduce this for you. You're also going to find it on the website. So if you look at our website, you'll find the same exact information uh, in terms of the simple gospel and communicating to other people about Jesus Christ. And what I want to do this morning for the rest of our time is to go to one of my favorite passages that talks about the simple gospel. So I, I would love it this morning if you turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. It's on page 845 in the Pew Bibles. Titus chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 3 through 7. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read this. And then I want to show you how I think this is a great passage to which to take people if you're trying to teach them about Jesus. There are other passages that are going to fill out all kinds of things about Christ. And there are other passages that do what this one does in terms of just laying out the simple facts of what Jesus has done. But this one's a very good one. So I thought we'll go here this morning and at least 
people will have this passage to go to in terms of these wonderful things that Jesus has done for us. So Titus chapter 3, verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Now I think... That's a great passage for talking to other people about Jesus because of the simple way that this lays out what it it is that Jesus has done and also the state that we're in as humanity before God. And it kind of, it has a, a completeness about it in terms of laying out the whole picture. And here's what I mean. First of all, there's the whole notion of the sinfulness of humankind. And you'll find that in the very first verse. At one time, we too were foolish and disobedient. In fact, this sounds a lot like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, which is another one of those passages. In fact, I thought about using Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 today because it does the same kind of thing. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it talks about how we were all dead in our transgressions and sins, uh, serving basically the principalities and powers, etc. And this passage says we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So not only did we not have some, or I, maybe I should say, not only did we have some things about us that were not so great, but it extended to our relationships as well. And we end up hating others, they end up hating us. And, and you might think, well, that's not really us. That's not really who we are. And I would agree with that. But that's because Jesus has done something for us. I'm not exactly like that anymore because I'm standing in Christ. But if we were to just grab some people off the world, out of the world, and bring them in here and say, let's fill our auditorium with 200 people from down the street, we're going to find some people who are going to live exactly like what Paul has just described. But the fact is, you'll sometimes find that in your own life still. But God has done something about that. And so we'd like to think that we're different, that we've changed, that somehow the gospel has worked within us to make us different people. But this is who we were. In fact, probably there's someone right now, as I say that, who's sitting here thinking, that's exactly who I was. Like before I came to Christ, I was not at all what God wanted me to be. And those things in my life that were so far away from Jesus have been altered by the good things that Jesus has done. So the sinfulness of humankind is a reality. And you know, we don't have to go very far to prove that. We could talk about Manchester. I can just say the word Manchester. And it's not hard this morning to think about the sinfulness of humanity. I could say something like, um, (laughs) our stairwell in the back of the church building. And there are things that go on, even on our own property, which are so far from what God wants humanity to be. And it's simply because we live in a world where there is brokenness and there's pain. Jonathan saw some of those people when he was busking. 
But all you have to do is go over to Marlboro Mall and walk around for a little bit, and you're going to see the same kind of broken humanity. We are a sinful lot. And then sin has played out in our world its own wrath so that there are broken lives everywhere around us, and they so badly need Jesus. This passage communicates that. But there's an answer. The answer is the kindness and love of God, our Savior. And this passage specifically states that. It's kind of like turning again to John 3.16. John 3.16 isn't as complete, I don't think, as Titus chapter 3 is. But at least this element is right there. What is it that's going to alter everything about our world if we allow God to alter it? Well, it's his kindness and his love. In fact, expressed specifically in Jesus, our Savior, that is going to transform our world. And I'm so grateful that we have that message to give to the world. It, it would be tragic if in our world today, with all of the brokenness that's there, if somebody didn't have something to say to them that could change everything. And we find ourselves, when we look at this passage, the expression of the kindness and love of God our Savior, which is just exactly that, that which changes everything. Well, how did he do that? Well, he saved us by his mercy and grace, not our righteousness. And if there's any element that is core to the gospel since the Reformation as anything else, it's the notion that salvation comes by grace, justification by faith. We don't work ourselves into salvation. God gifts us with salvation. And this passage specifically talks about that in verse 5 and verse 7, about how it's not something we do, but it's by God's mercy and grace that we find ourselves standing saved at all. And then it talks very specifically about how God went about actually bringing salvation to us. This passage says, first, that there's a washing of rebirth. And there's a a cleansing here that takes place. It's not just baptism. Baptism certainly is an act here that does something in terms of cleansing. But really what we're talking about is the cleansing of a life talking about the forgiveness of sin. And so all that sinfulness that was in you at some point, God has done something about, and he washes that away through a washing of rebirth. And then he says that this is renewed in us by the Holy Spirit. There's a renewal within us, that God changes us back in one sense to what Adam and Eve were in the garden, that we've become what God really intended us for us to be. And so there's a, a renewal of humanity that takes place through the good news of Jesus. And this is symbolized, actually, in the act of baptism. But again, baptism isn't just a symbol. It's not just a visible sign. It's actually something that does something for the individual who comes to faith. And so God, through his washing of rebirth, a renewal by the Holy Spirit, which I think comes together in the act of baptism, God actually changes human lives, changes the hearts of men and women, and they become what God wants them to be. The passage goes on and talks about the source of all this. And it names specifically Jesus as the source of life. And it's not as though Paul has put too far down in the order the key principle here. It's certainly Jesus on whom we need to focus. But he's undergirding everything he said with Jesus. Jesus is the center. Jesus is the heart. And so when we go to share the gospel with someone and even use a passage specifically like this and go right through it, we're going to find that Jesus is right at the heart of what it means for God to have saved us. And the result of everything that we have 
is eternal life. And this is interesting because in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, 15 years or so, the whole notion of eternal life has become something different than we've always thought of it as. We, for years and years and years, for centuries, Christians thought that to receive eternal life meant an eternal home in heaven with God, and we just focused on forever and ever and ever in the clouds somewhere, in some ethereal, spiritual kind of existence. But one of the things that's happened in recent years is that theologians and scholars have said, maybe we got this a little bit distorted. It could be that there's going to be something far more tangible that we're going to receive when we receive eternal life than just existence in the clouds. And I like that idea. I like the idea that that I'm going to have a a real spiritual body, not just uh, an energy force, not just something that's totally intangible that you can't experience or see, but I'm going to have a spiritual body that is actually a body, the way that Jesus had a real body with remnants of scars in his hands, was able to eat some food even after his resurrection. So I don't know all the things that eternal life means, but it seems as though it's moved in a different direction for a lot of people than what we used to think of. And I think that might be a biblical move. You can test that. See what you think. At any rate, we share together life in community with God as a result of what it is that Jesus has done. And I don't know if there's anything that our world needs more than this. This notion that there can be a complete renewal, an alteration, and change that comes specifically through Christ. Well, all those things, I think, are the things that need to be communicated for someone as they're trying to make a decision about Jesus. There's the notion of God through Jesus bringing about the salvation of humankind, not by something we do, but by what he does. And we have a chance through faith to come to him through the act of baptism to receive this grace and to receive this new life that God gives us. So that's one passage. There are lots more on the bookmark that you can look at that are going to demonstrate for somebody what it is that Jesus has done. Now, in addition to that this morning, we also want to hand something out. Jonathan, right next to you, there is a stack of papers. And in addition to the simple gospel, which is communicated on the bookmark, we also have this morning a a sheet, which is double-sided, that essentially includes all the elements of response. Like if we ask the question, okay, that's the simple gospel, this is what God has done, what do we do in response? And I've got a sheet here that I want to hand out and go through very quickly. You want to pass that out for me? You know, it's very possible that you have someone that you'd like to share the gospel with. But you think to yourself, you know, I'm not sure what to say here. I'm not sure what to teach. And so we've given you on the bookmark many passages that will summarize for whomever you want to talk to the good news of Jesus. But then what if they make a decision? What if they decide, ah, I want to come to Christ? What are we going to tell them? And so this piece of paper that's being handed out, Becoming a Child of God, How to Become a Christian, illustrates pretty completely, I think, what it is that a person needs to do in response to Jesus. And so what should be the response 
of a person to Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to go through this whole thing this morning. We don't have time for that. But you can see that under letter A, it says that a person needs to have a believing, accepting, committing, confessing, obedient kind of faith. And I do think that faith is a lot more than just intellectual belief. And that faith includes all kinds of elements that need to be looked into. And so there's lots of scriptures there that you could show someone. You could go right through this with somebody and say, look, here's a passage that talks about how we need to believe. Here's a passage that talks about how we should accept Jesus as Lord. Here's a passage that talks about how we should confess him as our Lord and Savior. And you can go right through that with somebody. And then if you look at the back, not only does a person need to make a decision about who Jesus is in terms of belief, but there needs to be repentance and life change. It was interesting And I really want you to be praying about this. Someone, uh, June asked me a few moments ago, is Leonard going to be here this morning? And I don't know if Leonard will be in the second service or not. You saw Leonard. He was the one that Jonathan was hugging. Uh, Jonathan, well, he was being proposed to actually by Leonard. But we don't want to talk about that. Okay. But Leonard, Leonard was here and he was very serious when he was here on Wednesday. And he came up to me after the lunch and he said, Kelly, I want to be baptized. And I, I said to him, I said, Leonard, you know, that is absolutely wonderful. I'm just so thrilled that you want to do that. Praise the Lord. But let's talk about this for a minute. Because Jesus talks about counting the cost. And I said, Leonard, I want so badly for you to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I think that you do believe. Um, Leonard, by the way, was raised in the Hutterite colony. So he, there's a lot of things about Christ that he's already aware of. I said, but I want very much for you to understand that there is a responsibility here, a commitment that goes along with becoming a Christian and being baptized. So I said, if you you do this, there are things that I would like to see happen in your life. Like, I'd love to see you coming to church. And he said, yeah, I should do that. And so he said, I'm going to see you on Sunday. He said it about four times. He said it to each one of us. So I'm hoping that at the 1110 service, since he's not here at this one, that he's going to be here today. But the point is, is that There is repentance involved, a life change that needs to come with the accepting of the gospel. And I want so badly for Leonard to come to Christ. I hope that today or tomorrow or the next day or next Sunday or whenever it is that Leonard is baptized into Christ. But I also want Leonard to know that there is repentance involved, that there's a life change expected and that he should be living differently before the Lord than he was previously. So that's part of it. And then letter C here is baptism. And we've talked a lot before about what baptism is. We won't go into that in length today. I'm hoping that that kind of washing that Leonard needs to receive, that he will receive that, and I hope that others do as well. And then we just said it here at the bottom, we all must respond to Jesus, even if our response is to disbelieve or to believe and do nothing about it. This is itself a response. And of course, that's not the response we want. We want people instead to respond to Jesus, and we're hoping that if you take this piece of paper and use it, that God can use that in somebody's life. So we've been talking for weeks about outreach, trying to say that we want to be a church that does reach out and communicate the good news about Christ. We've given you this morning lots of biblical passages that summarize the gospel on that bookmark. And then we've given you something else that really takes people through the kind of response to Jesus that the Bible talks about. And I'm hoping, I'm praying that you will use the kind of things 
that we gave this morning and that also just the, the things we've been discussing over the last few weeks, that you'll use those in talking to other people about Jesus. The fact is, is that you are possibly the main or only way for somebody who needs Jesus to come to him. And I don't want to put too much pressure on you, but it seems as though God did put some on us that he expects us to share with others the good news of Jesus in order that our world might hear the gospel and be transformed. And I'm hoping, I'm praying, we have been praying as a staff, as an eldership, we've been praying. I hope you continue to pray. Pray for Leonard. And we want so badly to see God use our church in a significant way to reach into the world with the good news of Jesus. Let me lead us in prayer about that right now, and then we'll continue to finish our worship. Lord, thank you for our chance to be with you today, to worship before you, to serve you, love you, honor you, in fellowship with you today. God, we, we look at our world, and it's indeed broken. There are so many people in our world who don't know you. We recognize, Lord, that you are the solution, that you're the answer. And we can see from all of these passages in the Bible what it is that you have done through Jesus. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to take these uh, truths, this revelation in Scripture about what it is that you've done in Jesus, and help us to, to communicate with others the love, the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness of Christ. Help us all to respond to you, Lord. Uh, and if there's even if someone here this morning who needs to put you on in baptism, God, we pray that you would somehow use what we've done uh, in previous weeks or today to touch their hearts with the good news of your son, Jesus. We pray these things through Christ. Amen.